No. Yes. Man, it works every time. Hey, Flex Bros. Today is Thursday, April 16th, exactly one week before the NFL draft. The draft is going to happen, the show is going to happen, and the show introduces a new guest, Levi, with the Fantasy Nice Guy podcast. Uh, give this nice guy a listen after uh, this episode as he's recently broke down some recent happenings in the NFL in some of his earlier shows. Um, also, a big shout out to Matt Kelly, the Podfather, and the Roto Underworld Radio podcast for putting together a startup league this offseason where Levi and I have been drafting against one another. So tonight we'll talk about this startup that we're just wrapping up, uh, some of the players that we saw come off the board a little too early, uh, as well as some of the steals we witnessed. And we're also going to touch on some late-round rookies that you can throw some darts at in your rookie drafts. And lastly, uh, we'll continue our conversation uh, that we've recently been talking about with the potential breakout tight ends and uh, some of the things that we've found in our research. Uh, so you can follow me on Twitter at Tight Ends Matter and go ahead and give Levi a follow at Fantasy Nice Guy. Uh, without further ado, let's get Levi on the air. Hey, what's going on, man? Hey, thanks for joining the show, Levi. I'm pumped to have you on uh, an episode of the Super Duper Flex Bros. I'm excited we we made this connection through a uh, recent startup through uh, Matt Kelly, the Podfather. Uh, you want to tell the audience a little bit about yourself before we jump into it? Yeah, for sure. And uh, definitely don't judge me off that startup. I feel like I've timed out like three or four times now, which is crazy. Uh <laughs> No, no yeah. judgment. So I'm Levi. Uh, you can find me and my podcast at Fantasy Nice Guy pretty much anywhere that you can see other podcasts on Apple, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, all those. Um, if you ever want to shoot me a question, Twitter's usually the best, but you can also hit me up on an email at fantasynicegui at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, I've been playing fantasy football, I would say seriously, since 2014, and I've been in a dynasty league since 2015. Um, started off with one and that was really fun and it's kind of like getting a tattoo or anything else like once you kind of get one or two going the ball definitely gets rolling so uh, I've just always been oh I wouldn't say I was always a football fan but I really just like that how fantasy just really turns the game into rooting for a lot of players that aren't just on your own team and being from I'm from like small town Iowa and so I didn't have a football team. A lot of people are like Bears or Vikings or Packers. There was some when they were still in state. It was just kind of a nice little gateway and uh, a different way of approaching the game that I really enjoyed. And now I get to talk about it once a week. Yeah, that, that's awesome, man. Yeah, so I got to ask, do you have more tattoos or more <laughs> definitely, definitely have more currently? Dynasty Leagues. Uh, I had a couple tattoos when I was younger and then <laughs> – didn't have money for tattoos anymore so now i'm <laughs> 30 so i feel like a window is definitely closing on okay nice i actually just got my first tattoo uh i'm okay. 31 so i just got my i got my first one earlier nice. this year um but but yeah i don't have any money for tattoos <laughs> right now but there's always there's always money for dynasty yeah yeah i think when when uh when matt kelly sent out the invite for this 
was like, sign me up. I, I didn't even look at yeah, the yeah. cost. So there's, there's always money for dynasty. Well, cool. Well, let's uh, jump into this, this draft. We're just wrapping it up. Um, I like that you and I are kind of drafting on opposite ends of the turns. Um, so we haven't been sniping each other. At least I don't think so. Uh, but let's, let's point out uh, a couple of guys on your team. And then we'll talk about the pod fathers team, of course, and a couple of other random ones. Let's focus on crypto shills and the friendly ghost. I think they were drafting at like the four and the six spot. Yeah. Uh, but let, let's start with yours. What, what was your favorite? Uh, well, first, you I made? feel like you got the better, you and uh, the pod father got the better end of the deal, in my opinion. Like I, I would like to be at the back end uh, and especially get that, that one, two turn. I think you can players back because i feel like once it kind of got back to me at the uh, at the two three turn like it was at that point where the the top studs were kind of off the board but i knew i wasn't gonna be picking for a while so i hate i'd rather draft in the middle because i hate reaching when you're drafting on the ends um but speaking of which one that pick i did take uh, at the 302 was travis kelsey in this league you do start two tight ends which is huge you start a lot of 13 total starters in this league, two quarterback, three running back, five wide receivers, two tight end, and one flex. So depth can't is so important. It can't go understated. But having a week-in, week-out, uh, truly stud tight end like Kelsey gives you a huge positional advantage. And unlike most leagues, you just can't sleep on tight end. Like, you can't punt the position. It's two of your 13 starters. Uh, so it, it's okay if because the lack of, uh, I would say, true week-in, week-out players. You can maybe a, a one of your tight end spots, you can throw in like a, I don't even know, like a Greg Olson that's a little bit older but might be able to get it done, or Jimmy Graham is kind of another name. that I think he's actually still available. I think we're going to the 17th round, but having that one true side definitely helps out for sure. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And yeah, just going back to the draft spot, I definitely appreciated having um, getting the pick at the the start of the, or the end of the first round um, on that turn, like you mentioned. And and I had the opportunity there to take Delvin Cook and Nick Chubb, um, but I'm actually not a huge Chubb fan. And a, a few picks later, when I saw that Kittle was accidentally out picked, I was like, all right, I see a couple of guys that are dropping that I still like. So if I can trade Chubb for Kittle uh, for all the tight end positional advantages that you just talked about, uh, then with that that pick, I moved from a late third to a mid, a mid third because I saw Devontae Adams and Amari Cooper were both dropping. Uh, so, so luckily I was able to make that trade and then move up in the third and snag Amari Cooper. So I, I'm feeling pretty good about the first few picks with Dalvin, uh, Kittle, and Amari Cooper. Uh, at, at three different positions. Um, but go, I'll, I'll stop showing off about my team. So going, going back, going it's... back to your picks, uh, did, I, maybe you didn't have instant regret, but which, uh, which pick did you make that you might not be too excited? So I'm usually about? more of a robust running back drafter. I talked about that on my last podcast and I did take Saquon at the one Oh two in this draft. And because of that, and the fact that I did go Kelsey earlier I did make sure to get Baker Mayfield and Carson Wentz, two solidified starters uh, that are paid by their team too. I'm mean, at least Carson Wentz is Baker still on his rookie contract. That was pretty important to me, but it did sacrifice some running back depth. And so I, I feel like I did reach a little bit for Damian Williams in the seventh, 
Now, I really don't think that Kansas City is actually going to draft a running back, to be honest, at least not until day three. I think they're comfortable with Damian Williams as a starter. I mean, he got plenty of touches in the Super Bowl. He's got plenty of touches actually the last two playoff runs. And even last year, it was really just injuries that kept him off. Now, maybe Andy Reid does have some some hesitations if he can handle a full, you know, 250-plus touch workload in a season. But for me, I just feel like that was a pretty risky pick. He is older, but at least he doesn't have – he has more tread on the tires from most 28-year-old running backs. I think he probably has, what, less than five or 600 career touches. So he's a guy that um, – it wasn't the craziest pick, in my opinion. And even last year, I was getting a lot of Damian Williams in a lot of different places. I tried to get him as much as I could in my other dynasty leagues uh, early, like back in last February. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I could have probably made a better pick there. But because of how the draft worked out, I feel like I had to take a running back then because if not, I was going to get stuck starting, like, at best, like a Tevin Coleman or something like that at my running back two. And then I'd have to find another starter for my running back three. Yeah, I, I think you could definitely do worse than Damian Williams as, as your RB2. I, I agree. I don't think Kansas City is going to be prioritizing the running back position. They, they keep bringing on just these younger guys through free agency anyways. So they might find somebody that they really like. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't hate the pick. I, I wouldn't be totally comfortable at two. But in a league like this, like you mentioned, it's two QB, two tight end, five wide receivers, three running backs. It, at some point, you kind of have to – decide which uh, position you're going to be a little weaker on coming out of the draft. So if that ends up being running back, but you feel good about your um, other positions, I, I think you, you end up doing just fine. And then you just got to be active uh, the rest of the season, but having a running back in the highest scoring offense, I, I think you're doing just fine. I, I was, I was excited to get Demarcus Robinson as my wide receiver five, just so I could get a little piece of that Kansas city offense. So Damian Williams is he, He's, he's still a good back. Appreciate that. Um, but move, yeah, moving on to the uh, next team, Crypto Shills. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to his uh, best pick of the draft, in my opinion. Uh, he got David Johnson at the, the top of the eighth. Um, so the pod father is going to love saying that this guy grabbed Johnson. Um, but all, all three seasons that David Johnson's been healthy. He's been in RB one. Um, so it's, it's kind of as simple as that. I know he's definitely older. Um, uh, he's, he's had some of those injuries. Um, uh, but that's, that's kind of my, my thoughts on David Johnson. Do you have any other thoughts, even though he's going to, uh, I mean, Houston? I think really you just have to look and see if you think David Johnson is better now than what Carlos Hyde was last year. Bill O'Brien has showed that he doesn't care. <laughs> like if you, if you're a running back and you have a lot of touches, he'll give you the ball. Evan Silva and the Podfather just did an amazing podcast kind of breaking down even when Bill O'Brien was still with the Patriots. And they, even though they had five Hall of Fame players, they still drafted Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis. Um, so yeah. it gave him like he led the team in touchdowns. So I just thought that was kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. That's one of the best shows. Um, again, the Roto Underworld radio podcast, if you want to hear – uh, a breakdown of some of the crazy stuff that Bill O'Brien's been pulling the last few years without with it. It's really kind of gone un, unnoticed until recently. Um, check that out. Uh, but back to crypto shills, um, his worst pick, in my opinion, um, in the sixth round, he went with uh, Austin Hooper. 
And with Austin Hooper, I'm just concerned he was averaging seven and a half targets last season. <coughs> Sorry, I might begin the coronavirus. Um, so that, that's the same as Amari Cooper. So I don't think that's going to happen in, in uh, Cleveland. What, what are your thoughts on uh, Austin Hooper? Yeah, I, I have him in a couple leagues, and I was just killed when he went to the Browns. The Browns already have so many weapons there. And, yeah, he's the highest-paid tight end in football, but we've kind of seen that it's really the opportunity that drives at least a fantasy value for a tight end. I have no, I have no doubt that Skafanski and the Vikings, you know, or the Vikings, <laughs> the Browns offense is going to use him <laughs> in quite, uh, quite a bit of ways, but is that going to be with blocking? Is that going to be kind of opening up targets over the top to OBJ and Landry over the middle? I just feel like this is a better football signing than fantasy signing for sure. So I agree. Yeah, and, and as of now, Njoku's still on the team, so he's going to be competing with targets or for targets with Njoku, Odell, Jarvis, and then Kareem Hunt. They still like to sprinkle him in uh, in the passing game as well. So even if he becomes like the third highest targeted player on that roster, yeah, I don't know how many targets that's going to be. If if Odell and Jarvis are both getting eight, uh, last season Baker was averaging just about 33 passes a game. So that really doesn't leave too much. Uh, once you start breaking it down and splitting it up between the other the other four guys outside of Odell and Jarvis. Yeah, it kind of was um, like a perfect situation for Hooper last year, too, with the Falcons just not having a running back that they trusted to even throw it to. So, like, the middle of the field was pretty much all his. So, if the Falcons draft a running back this year, it probably wouldn't have been as ideal for him to stay in Atlanta anyways. But I imagine it still would have been a better overall opportunity and, and better for his uh fantasy stock if you would have stayed in Atlanta yeah and we've seen when tight ends change teams they don't necessarily carry over that same rapport obviously uh, but that's just not a guarantee they're going to come in and produce especially when they've got other target comp- uh, competition at the exact same position um, but moving on to the friendly ghost uh, his his best pick this is coming from a Vikings fan uh, but his best pick I still think was Devonte Adams in the third um, I, I think that he's still elite. Uh, he's got plenty of years left in where he's going to be uh, getting targeted from from Aaron Rodgers. He's he's only 27, and um, last season he was on the field for 12 games, and he only gave you less than uh, 14 points four times. So he's he's pretty much as consistent as they come. And it, his highest scoring game actually came week four against Philly. Uh, where he only played 70% of the snaps because he hurt his toe. Um, so that's definitely a steal on the third round, in my opinion. Yeah, everybody was getting it done against Philly. I actually went to the Vikings-Eagles game <laughs> up in Minnesota last last year for my birthday. So I, I got to, I oh, got awesome. to see uh, Stephon Diggs. And what's funny, I talked about on the podcast, I literally traded Stephon Diggs hours before that game, and then he goes off against Philly's defense. So it was pretty funny. Um, oh. it was It was bad. It was bad, but I got a DJ Chark. I got like week. a 20, 2020 or twenty twenty one second. So I, I feel pretty good on my return that I still got on him, especially now that Diggs is in Buffalo. But man, it, it was it was tough to watch for sure. At least I think I won that day too. Still, but oh man, I, I was getting. Of course, there was like four or five of us that were in that league as well at that game. So uh, I was I was definitely getting my yeah. fair share of heckling. Uh, but, yeah, I agree with Devontae Adams on the third. Here's the thing with Devontae Adams. It's kind of similar to when I picked Julio at late fourth or early fifth. I think he's kind of a guy who's he's not as old as Julio now, but 
I think you just have to kind of somewhat temper expectations and realize that he's a guy that you're not going to be able to probably trade away now for like a younger stud, like a DJ Moore, maybe not even AJ Brown, but you're still going to get that production. So he does lose that trade value. I do think that the Packers are going to bring in another receiver. If it is a rookie, it, it might have to take a little bit of time to build that rapport. Aaron Rodgers is all about trust. You know, Jordy Nelson, I think was a good receiver, but he wasn't a special athlete. I don't think he did anything that was, that really confused quarterbacks or anything. Aaron Rodgers is just that deadly accurate. And he knew exactly where Jordy was going to be. And sometimes that's all it takes. And he definitely seems to have that same connection with Devontae Adams. But again, I, I, I just think there's going to yeah, be more I... pieces on that offense that get touches besides him and Aaron Jones. It was kind of like this perfect uh, kind of like touch consolidation between those two worked really well for D, uh, DFS last year. We'll see how uh, a rookie or anybody else that they bring in kind of affects that. But I still think he's going to be a top five, at worst, top ten receiver this year if he stays healthy. Yeah, I totally agree. And even if the Packers do bring in another receiver through the draft, uh, who knows if Rodgers is going to trust him. So if he doesn't even trust him, then the ball is not going to get delivered out there. So, uh, But, yeah, I think you and I are both kind of on the same page. that 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 was a steal in the third round. Um, so least favorite pick, um, it's going to go with Le'Veon Bell in the sixth. Uh, I don't think Bell in the sixth is necessarily the worst pick of the draft. Um, but for this team, and, and we kind of talked about this taking running backs late, uh, this is going to be his RB one. Um, so I'd just be a little concerned with his remaining lifetime value. Uh, I know that the jets have actually been pretty, um, active this off season with, uh, signing offensive linemen. And, and last season, he still finished around like RB12. So if that's his floor, uh, then I think you're going to be safe for the, a season or two. But as soon as he kind of loses a step or if they do bring somebody else in, um, it, we've seen Bell get hurt in the past. I'd, I'd just be a little nervous with, with Bell as my RB1. Yeah, I wouldn't want him as my RB1. But, man, you can't argue with the, the touches that he got last year. It was still over 300 touches for the season. Yeah, he wasn't efficient with them, but I think he only scored three or four total touchdowns too. So I feel like this was kind of uh, basically Leonard Fournette with less with less targets, which is kind of funny to think that Leonard Fournette would get more touches or more targets in his offense than Le'Veon Bell. But here we are. I don't mind it in the sixth round. Still, actually, I th- I still think yeah. he has one or two good years of production left in him. There's they haven't brought another back this off season. We'll see if they end up taking one on day one or day two of the draft. I think that's going to really tell a lot, especially with Adam Gase kind of calling the shots, not as just the head coach, but also um, kind of like in that Bill O'Brien role as well as kind of the GM. So I like it more than you do. I think that his worst pick, honestly, was probably Jameis Winston at the end of the 10th. I get the upside that Jameis Winston has. We all love him (laughs) for fantasy football. Like he's basically the younger Ryan Fitzpatrick, just this DGAF guy. But I think that he's going to kind of have that Ryan Fitzpatrick career arc where he's probably going to be a journeyman that drop, you know, bounces from team to team. He's going to be a guy that maybe Bruce Arians, if he moves on to a different team, takes a shot on or something. I can see a coach like that. But, I mean, again, I thought that was just a perfect coach and quarterback tandem. And if he wanted to move on to get a 42, 43-year-old Tom Brady, it just, I think, sends a, a message to the league that they really don't don't trust him to be a winning quarterback for an organization. Yeah, but he, he got the <laughs> yes. guy surgery. You, you don't think that helps him? 
no well that, yeah that's that's some good analysis well lastly we gotta we we, we can't do a, a startup draft with the pod father if we don't take a look at his roster uh so you were talking about how you were excited to get kelsey as kind of your your best pick and I, i'm definitely ecstatic to have kittle um but I don't think you and I would have drafted either of those guys if we knew that we could get Mark Andrews in the fourth round. Um, and that's that's what the podfather did. He, he got uh, Mark Andrews at the top of the fourth, which is just an absolute steal. With, with Andrews only being 24 years old, uh, we've seen how, how long these big athletic tight ends that make plays that they can stick around in the league. Um, so I think he's going to be great for years to come. Uh, not to mention as long as Lamar Jackson's under center, Defenses are they're always going to kind of hesitate to uh, double Andrews, considering they always have to watch for Lamar Jackson taking off and running with the ball, especially in the end zone um, or in the red zone. So I'd, I'd say that was that was probably his best pick of the draft. What what are your thoughts on? I mean, Andrews? I agree. I was debating between Kittle and Andrews myself at the top of the third. So the fact that you know Matt can get him a full round later this early in the draft is is huge value in a two tight end league for sure. The only hesitation I have with Mark Andrews is once they get a couple more weapons, because you know they're going to surround Lamar Jackson with better pass catchers than just Hollywood Brown, Miles Boykin, Willie Sneed, you know, how is that going to affect his target share? Also, you know, what if they get Justice Hill more involved or if they draft a running back earlier to kind of siphon some of those targets over the middle of the field? But those are only my, my only hesitations. And even with those there, maybe he doesn't have the floor. Maybe he'll never be a tight end one in a season, but it's, I could definitely see him going for the next four or five, six years being a consistent top five, top six tight end. Yeah. And, and that, if they bring in somebody new, um, like additional talent for him to throw the ball to that, that argument can go both ways too. Cause if they bring in another elite wide receiver, uh, the defenses might just have to focus more attention on the receivers and then really open things up for um, Mark Andrews in the middle of the field too. So, yeah, he's I agree. I think he's got a really safe floor and he's he's, of course, got that potential to end the season as the tight end one. Um, so he got Andrews at the top of the fourth. Um, so the pot father's worst pick. We'll, we'll just go to the very next pick in the fifth round. He went with with Matt Stafford. Uh, so he, I've always got to hesitate before I start throwing any shade at the pot father. <laughs> I, I'm uh, interested to, to see uh how, how far he he uh brings this team i, I think he's probably the, the most experienced of this group um uh, so don't want to throw too much shade his way um uh, so the more i thought about um uh, i don't necessarily hate this pick as much as i hate the lions and what they're doing so um i'm a i'm a vikings fan so i i uh automatically have to hate the lions already um uh, but i think this is one team in the nfl that just has absolutely no identity um, they've got one of the best deep th- uh, ball throwers, uh, but they're they're really limiting Stafford's upside. Uh, outside of Galladay and Hawkinson, uh, I'm not a Marvin Jones believer, uh, so I, I just I don't think that they really give him a lot to work with. So I, I would have rather have seen Tannehill or Matt Ryan um, go at that spot, just because I I think Tannehill offers you a safer floor with an ascending offense and and he could run the ball. And then Matt Ryan is going to be playing in the division that might just put up the most points in the NFL. So what, what are your thoughts on, on Stafford in the fifth? So I agree this is worst pick, but man, the fact that Stafford in the fifth is his worst pick just kind of speaks to how good of a draft he had. 
it's just interesting because even his own rankings yeah. and again, right. rankings are rankings. They're, they're meant to be a little bit more uh, flexible. They're not set in stone, but he put Darnold ahead of Stafford in his rankings. I think it was by a couple spots too. So I was kind of surprised he didn't go with the youth and I wouldn't, I guess I wouldn't say upside, but we just don't know Darnold's ceiling is kind of the big thing. Like he's had his rookie year. And then last year he had motto. He has Adam Gase as his head coach. Like we, he's the youngest quarterback to ever start a game. So we truly, maybe we won't know for a couple more years what Darnold can really be. We kind of know what Stafford is, and we see that he could be this top five fancy quarterback, but you do have the injury concerns. You do just have the what you outlined with just how badly the organization has run. They've kept with the same GM, I think, ever since, I think, pre-Calvin Johnson. And they're talking about their first three-round picks, really Calvin Johnson, Matthew Stafford at number one overall, or I think it was a top five pick. And then um, Kenny Galladay are really their only good picks that they've made in the early rounds the entire time that he's been there. So I don't know how you just keep on to a GM like that when you're not capitalizing on your picks. And then just the, I think really wish that teams would just give up trying to steal guys away from the Patriots and the Bill Belichick coaching tree. Like, yeah, I understand Bill Belichick is probably the greatest coach of all time, but that doesn't mean he bestowed all his wisdom onto all these other guys. And they're just going to instantly turn around your organization so I, I think they're going to probably go full rebuild here pretty soon. Um, I think them and, and Jacksonville, potentially the Jets too, but, man, the Jets won seven games last year. It did, Jets felt like such a bad team, and the fact that they almost went 500 last year is kind of crazy to me. So I, I do agree with that that Stafford pick, and, yeah, I, I don't want to say any more about the Podfather. I think I already upset him by timing <laughs> out a couple times in the draft, so. All right, cool. Well, did you want to uh, mention any other steals or reaches yeah, from the draft? Uh, I thought it was interesting that Daniel Jones was drafted before Josh Allen. I think both these guys are are considered a little bit riskier, but higher upside quarterbacks. Obviously, Josh Allen gets it done a little bit more with his legs versus Daniel Jones, I think, has – oh, man. I would say he has a better supporting cast right now only because of Saquon Barkley. And you have Evan Ingram versus Josh Allen has just that wide receiver trio. So – I just thought that was kind of fascinating. I don't know if I agree or disagree with it. I feel like more of the fantasy community would say that they trust Josh Allen over Daniel's or Daniel Jones just because we've we've seen it. Josh Allen do it more. Did did you, did you happen to see which team took uh, Daniel Jones before Josh Allen? Uh no. Let me check actually real quick. It it it, it was oh, me you? actually. So I was going between I was going between Jones. Um, Josh Allen, and then Kenny right, well, perfect. Why, why'd you pick, uh, uh, why'd was, you pick Daniel was, Jones over Josh Allen, man? Yeah, it, it was a it was a tough decision. Well, and and I was really about to uh, pick Galladay before that, uh, but for all the things I just mentioned about Detroit, I just don't trust the organization. Uh, and at that point, I already had a Barry Cooper, so I was looking at the quarterback position. And I think with Josh Allen, just with how often he runs, I was just concerned about durability. And if you listen to any of my previous shows, you'll, you'll hear I'm actually a big Daniel Jones fan. Um, I think he had at least four of his 12 started games where he had at least four or five touchdowns. Um, so that that's pretty rare for a rookie running back to come in and do that. And then the, the supporting cast, like you already mentioned, um, I think Saquon opens up a ton of stuff for him to uh, get the ball to his receivers. And they're talking about taking a wide receiver in the – second or third round. So I think his supporting cast is only going to go up. Um, so I, I just really like his upside. And I, 
being a Vikings fan, I've seen teams that can overperform a lot. And I feel like Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills kind of overperformed last season. I I think they could still win that division. Uh, But I saw a lot of deep balls connect um, with John Brown that might not be there. Uh, I'm actually a big Devin Singletary fan too. Um, but I, I feel like that team just kind of uh, overperformed a little bit. So I, I like the idea of uh, Daniel Jones just being a, a little bit better of a passer, uh, but he's not afraid to run the ball either. I think he, he had some decent rushing weeks. He had some rushing touchdowns. So that's that's why I, I went with Daniel Jones over Josh Allen. Man, and I, I guess my rebuttal to that would just be I, I'm not a big Dave Gettleman fan. So when, you're, when we're talking about before <laughs> with Detroit and how their teams are run, like, I just don't get it. I know Dave Gettleman, if he can mess up that number three pick, even though he has so much power with that pick, he will. Like, if there's any GM out there besides Bill O'Brien, I feel like Dave Gettleman is the one that could do it. He he would, like, take Tristan Wirfs oh, or yeah. one of these other offensive linemen, even if, like, Chase Young, one of these young quarterbacks, uh, Jeffrey Okuda is just there for the taking. He would be like, no, we got to get one, one more big ugly there uh, for our team to protect our quarterback when they could easily trade back. That's the thing, too. Uh, Dave Gettleman and all the drafts he's been as a GM has never once traded back in a draft. So yeah, well, yeah, and if if we're talking Gettleman or if we're talking Daniel Jones, <laughs> two totally For different sure. conversations. <laughs> I, I I don't trust the guy. Um, but as far as him uh, not making the right picks and having that defense continue to give up a lot of points, so Daniel Jones has to play keep up. I I, I love it. Pencil yeah. me in. And I'll admit too, I wasn't the biggest Daniel Jones guy coming out last year, and. The biggest criticism I, I gave, again, with Dave Gettleman and the Giants was they didn't have to take him at six. There was no reason no one else was, I think, had him in their top 20 or even a first-round grade on him. And so it was just the fact that they jumped up so high to get him. And I, I give him props for kind of living up to the hype and that New York media and proving some guys wrong. I, I do hope that he continues to do it because there are some interesting pieces in New York. And I got Saquon Barkley in this league, so I, I need at least a, a, a game manager quarterback that can dump it off to him. Yeah, no, I yeah, I, I agree. I think it's going to be exciting to uh, see what he can do um, and build off that kind of high-end QB2 season he had last year. Uh, but who who else did you uh, notice in this draft get uh, breached on a little bit well, too early? We can, maybe, we can maybe save Singletary if we have some time here because I definitely went in on him and I didn't realize he was your guy. Uh, Evan Ingram, Ingram at the top sure. of the six, I really liked. I mean, if this guy can find a way to stay on the field, He's a top five dynasty tight end for me pretty easily, even with all those other weapons that we mentioned uh, with New York. I guess I kind of leave him out of the conversation sometimes because I don't know his availability. Um, But the thing is, too, even if he is hurt and tight end is one of the more injury prone positions, it's not like you're getting a zero. There's usually another guy that you can plug in there. Now, the guy you plug in, uh, maybe it would only be a couple points. It's probably not that far away from being zero, but I don't think it's too crazy. Um, Also... I really like that the Texas Chili Bulls took Robert Woods and Adam Thielen at the 6-7 turn. I feel like both of those guys are, you know, more receivers that can be inside or outside that have gotten it done the last few years but are getting a little bit older in age. And because of that, you got them at better values. But there's no reason why those guys can't produce for your team and be solid, maybe low-end wide receiver twos for the next couple of years. Yeah, 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 totally agree. I, I like that pick, and I like Woods, um, obviously, with Cooks being out of there. And then now now Thielen's kind of run the show by himself, so totally agree with those. Um, I think you had one more kind of a reach 
Yeah, Robbie Anderson at 10-10 I thought was a little interesting, especially with T.Y. Hilton, Mike Williams, Sean Brown, Marvin Jones, all these guys are on the board. And, yeah, Robbie Anderson is a little bit younger than all most of those guys except for Mike Williams. But that's a really crowded offense in Carolina. I get that uh, Matt Rule was his coach back at Temple. But, I mean, the way I look at it, at best he's going to be tied for third in targets on that team with, you know, CMC. You have, <clears throat> excuse me, you have DJ Moore. I think Curtis Samuel, since he's just more familiar with the offense and what's going on with COVID-19, I feel like at best he's going to be at the same target level as Robbie Anderson. And he did struggle a lot last year. He did have a murderer's row of corners that he's going to face. But we'll see. I mean, I think the Panthers are going to be down in a lot of games this year. So they might have to air out the ball and take some shots downfield to really stay in games. So that does help out Robbie Anderson a little bit in that sense. And especially since DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey obviously get a lot more of their targets close to the line of scrimmage. I just don't think that he's going to get the volume to really be worth it for that back end 10th round pick. Yeah, that, that's my thoughts too. I think I'd be comfortable playing Robbie Anderson as maybe my wide receiver five, uh, just totally throwing out the, him on those uh, bye weeks. But besides that, yeah, we've seen him go on those stretches where he's catching deep bomb touchdowns. Um, but more often than not, you, you regret if you have him in your starting lineup. Um, and, and you mentioned T.Y. Hilton, uh, Mike Williams, and John Brown all after that. Uh, those are all guys that I'd, I'd much rather have on the roster. Um, but but who knows? I mean, maybe Robbie Anderson just needed a change change of scenery. So we'll see now that he's not wearing the uh, the New York green I, anymore. I will say he might actually uh, be more of a sneakier yeah. buy next offseason because I could see this offense being uh, an offense that really ascends next year. Like they're going to have some growing pains, I'm sure, this year with the, first, with the first year with Joe Brady in that system. You obviously have Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback too. So there's and maybe Curtis Samuel doesn't get re-signed and Robbie Anderson does make a couple plays. He could be like a more of a, a post-hype sleeper. But yeah, for me right now, that, I think that was just too early. And if I'm the owner, I'm probably going to hang on to him for now. Yeah, yeah, he's one of those guys, once you draft him, you're not going to get the same value trying to trade him away. So you might as well just hold on to him and, and see what see what you can get in the future if he breaks off a couple of those big games that he's been known to do. Uh, well, the next segment I wanted to talk about um, some 2020 rookies. We've got the draft coming up next week already. Um, and there, there's a lot of guys that aren't being talked about that might go um, in rookie drafts in the second round or third round. Um, so I asked you to prepare two guys and then I, I took a couple of easy guys too. Uh, but you, you want to tell us about the, the two guys you chose? Yeah, for sure. Uh, first I'll say, man, I, and I've only played Dynasty for five years, but this feels like one of the, the deepest drafts. Last year's draft was deep too, but this feels even deeper than last year. I feel like if you do have any pick in the first or second round, you're going to be happy with the guy that you take away. Um, but with that being said, I think this is a guy that may be in tight end premium after reach for in the third, but other than that, I think you could late, uh, wait as late as the fourth round, and that's Albert O. I'm not going to try to say his last, his last name, but tight end out of Missouri. <laughs> uh, listen, he has a 99th percentile. Uh, speed score he's six foot six 258 he ran a sub four five so anytime that i'm looking to draft a tight end i want the athletic tight end when it comes time to look at my roster and see okay what is my tight end situation gonna be for this year and it's more of a one tight end 
tight end league or tight end premium, I'm going to look more for the guy that I think is going to get an opportunity. Jack Doyle is a name that comes to mind. We'll talk about him a little bit later. Um, but yeah, Albert O, I think is just upside is, is through the roof. He's been at the top of the list of a lot of Debbie drafts for a while. Again, doesn't have crazy college production, but neither did George Kittle. Neither did no uh, fans. Even Hawkinson didn't really produce until his last year in college. By the way, I'm a huge Iowa Hawkeyes fan, so I know about all the Iowa tight ends. Um, <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of them too. Oh, man, it's crazy. Tight, it's tight end you for it sure. Is. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's my first guy I think you can get late. Another guy, too, who's getting definitely a lot more love in super flex leagues, but I think in standard one quarterback leagues, you'll be able to still capitalize on his value, maybe even in super flex, is Jalen Hurts. Right now, I think that if he had the draft capital and I knew he was going to start week one, he legitimately has top five quarterback upside. Yes, he's raw. He's not as good a passer as as Tua, as Joe Burrow, not even close. But that's something that I think he can develop, especially with the right organization, with the right team. But And again, he had ridiculous stats at Oklahoma. But And I'm not trying to undersell that, but last, last few quarterbacks in that system against the Big 12, everybody does really well. So that is probably like the biggest hesitation I have for him. But uh, his dad was his coach most of his life. Uh, I mean, we kind of know all about his backstory when he was at Alabama. He seemed to really respond well to getting replaced by Tua and seemed to be a team guy. So it's hard not to root for this guy, number one. And number two, he just has almost like this perfect skill set to really be a valuable quarterback that you can get super cheap. Yeah. Um, yesterday, I actually saw – We I keep uh, giving a shout-out to uh, the Podfather, but I saw a, a Twitter – uh, or a tweet go out. Sorry, I'm I'm, I'm new to, to the Twitter world still. I've only got five followers, so <laughs> trying to hit that double digit number. Um, so I saw a tweet uh, from the Podfather saying that uh, Hertz might be going at like the 201 in two QB and Superflex leagues. And this this offseason, I actually made a trade. I traded away in a 12 man two QB league. So let's let's see if I can get the stamp of approval from you. Um, I have, I have Daniel Jones and Jared Goff. Um, okay. and, and then I traded away big Ben and Mason Rudolph and the 208. So I could move up to the 201. And, and my plan is to take Hertz if he's there. What, what are your thoughts on that? If, if Hertz, let's say he gets drafted by, um, like the Colts. So he has the opportunity to maybe start, but maybe not right away. What, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, even without that amazing landing spot, I love the trade. I'm not convinced that Big Ben is going to be healthy by week one. I know that there's a lot of reports out there that he's working out, and this is the first time he's worked out in the offseason since his first couple years in the league. But, I mean, there was that one video on Twitter. I know you're new to Twitter. That was out there of him (laughs) throwing a ball. But, man, it it looked like he was just, like, pushing it. Like, it had no velocity. Like, you didn't get to see how far it went or velocity or anything. And we had to remember, even though Big Ben isn't quite as old as Phillip Rivers and Tom Brady and Drew Brees, he's had a lot more injuries too. And he's kind of toughed it out and played through a lot of those. So I just really question of how much we're going to see a Big Ben still in the NFL. So, and I, I'm just not a believer in Mason Rudolph. I'm not. I thought he was more of a game manager quarterback at best. And then we saw last year with opportunity, even with an amazing defense, kind of an up and down running game due to injuries. And I know he didn't have the best pass catchers with Juju being hurt too and Deontay Johnson being a rookie. But I still feel like it was a solid enough opportunity that he could have at least 
done maybe what Gardner Minshew did, and he didn't, he didn't do that at all. So, yeah, I, I love that trade as well. I There's just so many receivers in this draft. I feel like if you're in any sort of super flex or two-quarterback league, once those top two quarterbacks and probably the top three, assuming that Justin Herbert gets drafted somewhere in the top 15, 20 picks, and those you know big-time running backs, maybe you can throw a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in there depending on landing spot. Yeah, I'm probably going to reach where Jalen Hurts because I'm going to just keep pushing those wide receivers down outside of maybe CeeDee Lamb for sure, maybe Jerry Judy. I will be interested. You can kind of maybe call me a Henry Ruggs guy. I just think that he's more than just a, a really fast guy. I think he's more athletic. But there's not too many guys that I want above Hurts in a super flex or two quarterback rookie draft right now. Yeah, nice. Well, cool. Well, I'm glad I got the stamp of approval from you. Uh, that that uh, trade, it caused a little bit of controversy. Um, but we're in that two QB league, uh, Mason Rudolph, and I, I wasn't really getting a lot of production from him anyways. And I'm, I'm hesitant to uh, lean on Big Ben as my QB three. So I was like, hey, why not just kind of dump both these guys, move up, and then swing for the fences. Worst case, if I don't end up with a starting quarterback, about five points less a week than what I was getting from Rudolph anyways. So, um, yeah, that, that's kind of my thought process on it. Um, so I, I love the guys that you, you chose. So like, like I mentioned, I kind of cheated. <laughs> I took uh, Brian, Brian Edwards. He's been going at the top of the second round. Uh, but I, I feel like this, this is, he's kind of the, the cheat code for uh, rookie drafts. Like if he hadn't been hurt, I think he'd be in the conversation as that wide receiver three and he might be going 107 or 108. Um, this this guy is just insane. I don't know. Have Have you heard of the the app, the Breakout Finder? Yes, I have. <laughs> so uh, this season, of course, we've got CD Lamb and Jerry Judy. Uh, but do you know who comes out the highest rated wide receiver in the Breakout Finder? Without draft capital, right now, it is Mr. Brian Edwards. Yeah, that that's true. You should include the draft capital because Edwards probably won't go in the first round now. Um, so I, I've seen a lot of different cops for Brian Edwards. Uh, so some, someone who I think he has a similar style of game to is, is actually Ari Cooper. Um, as far as like the, some of the more recent highly sought after wide receiver prospects go. Um, so breakout age is always one of the first things we look at, um, in these rookie drafts and Amari Cooper had a breakout age of 18.2. And Brian Edwards actually had a breakout age of 17.8. Um, so, so that's pretty impressive. It's and insane. then college dominator. I, I know. Yeah. Do you, do you remember what you were doing when you were 17 years old or 18 I, years I, old? I, I wasn't <laughs> dominating SEC competition. I could tell you that for sure. No, I mean, may, maybe, maybe in Madden, maybe you're dominating <laughs> yeah. some Madden competition. But <laughs> yeah, I think if, if you're playing against the. I was dominating yeah, in against... football like, uh, you know, 2010 or 2009 then. Yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. If you're playing online against the middle schoolers or your little brother. Yeah. Um, but so the, uh, next up, Amari Cooper's college dominator rating was 47.2, which, again, is insane. Uh, but Brian Edwards comes in at 48.4. And that even includes some time with Debo Samuel. And, and we saw how Debo was able to come in and kind of have that second half of the season breakout. Um, so lastly, it, Amari Cooper came in uh, with an extremely low dynamic score of just 2.8. Uh, and then Brian Edwards comes in with a, di- a dynamic score of 15. 
So for context, Percy Harvin had a dynamic score of 185. So 15 definitely isn't anything to write home about. But usually that dynamic score can really give us an idea of what these guys can do at the next level. That I feel like those guys' games are so they're so similar. Um, they're not just one dimensional. I'm pretty excited to to see what he can do. Um, so you you probably have a thought or two on uh, on Brian Edwards if he hadn't uh, had that foot injury. Do you think we'd be talking about him as the wide receiver three or four? I don't know about three or four just because of how much Mims killed the combine. I don't think Brian Edwards is that level of athlete. So I still think that we would have. Mims, probably Justin Jefferson, uh, along with, and then again, Henry Ruggs is pretty, pretty polarizing for a lot of people, but I feel like he's at least in a lot of people's top five or six, but I think Brian Edwards would be right there in that next conversation with Jalen Rager with, um, I I guess I would kind of put those two guys in their own tier. I like them a lot. And I actually heard a lot of scouts and even some guys that have some pretty reputable podcasts. I can't, not coming to my mind right now to give him the credit, but I've heard the comp of, you know, Michael Thomas coming out of Ohio state. He reminds them a lot of them. I think that was actually, uh, Oh man, it wasn't Sigmund bloom. Mark Wallman, I think is the one that made that kind of comparison. So oh, okay. he, he's been doing this for quite some time. So uh, I thought that was a really good comparison and yeah, you know, this actually, this foot injury might be a blessing in disguise. I mean, if these rookies aren't going to have any sort of training camp or preseason or anything like that, and they're just going to be kind of thrown onto an NFL field uh, with maybe a, a week or two to prepare, Brian Edwards is pretty much going to be just in the same spot as everyone else. He might still be working a little bit on his recovery and, and trying to get it right, but he's not going to really be missing out on, on much and on the learning curve as everybody else is. So the fact that you can get this guy in the late second, I think even early third round of rookie drafts, and that's where you want to start shooting for upside anyways. And Brad Edwards is just flowing with upside. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Uh, yeah. I, I love the upside that, that he's uh, going to have in the second round of pretty much every rookie draft. Uh, the, the last guy I wanted to highlight, I went a little bit deeper since I went easy with the, uh, the layup of Brian Edwards, uh, Levante Bellamy out of Western Michigan. Uh, I, I, watched a little bit of film on him and, and I'm, I'm not going to qualify myself as a, as a tape grinder or anything, um, but he just, and he's, he's returned kicks. He had back-to-back thousand yard seasons, and then he had 23 rushing touchdowns uh, th- this last season. So um, usually the end of the third or fourth round uh, rookie picks, th- those are usually kind of packaged into uh, trades earlier in the season anyway. So they're kind of throwaway picks. So if you're looking for a running back, uh, I think Levante Bellamy is somebody you could take probably in the fourth round. And if you if, if he lands in the right uh, landing spot, he might put up numbers kind of what like Bo Scarborough did for the Lions this last year, where if he's behind one or two guys that gets hurt, I, I, I could see him producing for a few games in the NFL. So just keep him on your radar. If you've got some of those throwaway picks, uh, just, just throw him at Levante Bellamy. So is, is that a player that, that you've done much research on or, or uh, seen anything on? Uh, no, to be honest, I my first time was seeing him on the show sheet about a half hour before <laughs> coming on here. All right. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I love the stats. I mean, 23 rushing touchdowns and, you know, the return game as well. To me, it kind of seems like a more poor man's Lynn Bowden Jr. or if anything. So, 
And with this year, with the draft being so deep, sometimes these throwaway picks do work out. I, I, I've been playing Dynasty long enough, I can tell you that. Um, I know Tyreek Hill. I, I'm in a 10-man Dynasty league. I know Tyreek Hill went undrafted. Chris Godwin, I got in the fourth round. Uh, I'm trying to think. Kenny Galladay won the fourth round as well uh, in my original Dynasty league. So there's definitely some diamonds in the rough that you can find these drafts. I do think that we as a fantasy community are getting better and better about what to really look for in these guys and, and, and hopefully scout better and realize that draft capital is really important because it's going to give those guys an, uh, more of an opportunity versus the guy on the team that might have a little bit more talent, but was drafted a couple of rounds later. But yeah, uh, definitely don't just give those away. Usually they are more of lottery tickets, like you said, but they can still have some value. Well, yeah. And, and what about my boy, uh, Danny Dimes? Was he undrafted in that league too? Um, I think he was, or he was drafted in the, the fifth or sixth round. So that, so this league, we actually converted to an IDP league as well, uh, I think two years ago. So the rookie draft is eight rounds, but it does include IDPs and also includes free agents too. So you're getting a little bit of everything in there. So I believe he was probably drafted in like the fifth or sixth round in that league. Um, Dak Prescott, believe it or not, lasted until the eighth round. He went one pick before mine and I ended up having to pick a safety, which if anybody plays an IDP league, this is the show. You'll know that safeties are pretty much a dime a dozen, and unless you're starting like three or four of them, that you don't really want to keep too many on your roster. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's kind of hard to uh, predict too, because if the teams just aren't even thrown at the safety, um, they're probably not putting up too many stats for you. Yeah, there there are a couple guys. It's man, it, it's such a different world because it's a literally all opportunity based. Like we always say that, or. I've heard a lot of people, especially the dynasty nerds, say that talent wins out, talent uh, above all. But that's not the case in IDP. There are linebackers that are just trash that will get cut the next year. There were top 10 linebackers in scoring uh, the year before for IDP just because they were the guy that just stopped the run, but they're terrible in coverage. But because they're terrible in coverage, they usually got the tackle, you know, a split second after the the guy caught the ball or ran through the hole. So it is, uh, it's fascinating to say the least. Yeah, well, yeah, it's kind of one of those things like Jameis Winston, how he might not be the best real-life quarterback, but in fantasy, exactly. he's, he's going to win you the season. So, um, yeah, because pick sixes are still only minus two or minus three in a lot of leagues, mm-hmm. um, and then he gets the ball back. Um, well, so with all this uh, free time I've had this off season with the corona stuff, um, I've actually been building a model around tight ends. Um, that's where I came up with my Twitter handle, at tight ends matter. Um, and I, I'm really trying to help uh, teams find some breakout tight ends. So in my model, one of the things that jumped out to me was target competition, uh, but also the players that they're competing against uh, for, for those targets. Um, so I've been looking into tight ends and, and found one of the big uh, predictors is if they're playing with a, uh, a wide receiver that uh, hadn't previously had a thousand yard uh, season. Uh, so a couple of guys I wanted to point out, um, Mike Gusecki, he was taken in this draft in the eighth round. He was, he was one of my guys actually. Um, but the biggest question for me in Miami is if Devonte Parker's real, um, this, this is the first time he actually put up over a thousand yards. Um, but th- a lot of that was from Fitzpatrick throwing up those 50, 50 balls. So I think Devonte Parker is more of like an 800 yard guy. Uh, and then the second half of the season, Gusecki was averaging over seven and a half targets a game. Um, and in that time period, he, he did score five touchdowns. So he's, he's a guy 
that I think a lot of people have already predicted to break out uh, just because he was um, so highly sought after a, a couple of years ago after the the combine. He, he just put up some crazy measurables. Um, do you if have there's ever been a guy on, that on broke Kisicki? the combine, it was definitely Mike Gusecki. He legitimately broke the combine. It was like all 98th percentile or better in all his metrics. It was insane. Yeah. I don't know what uh, Penn State yeah. is doing there, uh, but it seems like a lot of a lot of guys that are coming out of there are just ridiculously freak athletes, and not accusing them of anything or foul play, but it's uh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, well, and with how well he played, you would have thought he came from Iowa, right? Oh man, tight end you. Um, but the next guy, uh, Johnny Smith, he was taken in the ninth round of this startup. And everybody loves A.J. Brown. I love A.J. Brown. I drafted him in a couple of dynasty leagues. Uh, I'll probably never trade him away. And and even with his limited targets of just 84 targets, he still put up over 1,000 yards. Uh, but it's with those limited targets that I feel like uh, Johnny Smith is still going to get uh, more than enough volume to put up tight end one numbers. Um, and he's pretty much the only tight end in town. And something else that my model kind of shows is if these tight ends are playing with pass catching running backs and as great as Derrick Henry is, and we've, we've all seen him take a screen or two to the house, um, but he's not one of those elite pass catching guys. So Johnny Smith, he's another uh, potential breakout tight end that my model really likes. Um, You you have any thoughts on Johnny Smith? Yeah. And I'm going to disagree with you a little bit just because we've over the last couple of years, we've seen Delaney Walker be hurt and Johnny step up and he really hasn't, done much with that opportunity i feel didn't you have like that one pass or rush against the saints that went for like 70 yards i feel like that was like over half his fantasy points last year i think the opportunity is going to be there for him which for a tight end is a lot i do like his athletic profile and him coming and just him as a tight end prospect but i am starting to doubt that if he doesn't start getting it done the first four or five weeks of the year if i have him in a league i'm probably waiting for like a breakout game against a bad defense and I'm probably going to try to sell him just because I don't think it's going to be there long-term. Also, I think Tennessee is one of those sneaky teams that not a lot of people are talking about that could draft a receiver on day one or day two. They didn't give Corey Davis his uh, fifth-year option, which I don't blame them. He was drafted top 10. I mean, I imagine that's probably going to be close to like 12 to $15 million, and I wouldn't pay Corey Davis a fraction of that. So I think that they have to start planning for the future and surround Ryan Tannehill with some weapons. I do think that they probably want to address the offensive line first, uh, especially since they left lost uh, Jack Conklin to the Browns. But I think there's going to be a little more target competition than it seems like right now. But I, I hope I'm proven wrong because I did like Johnny Smith a lot coming out of college, but he just doesn't seem to get the targets or hasn't got the opportunity yet. Yeah, no, and I appreciate you uh, letting me know when you disagree. It'd be pretty boring if we just agreed with each other all night. So looking at the draft, um, we had Johnny Smith go in the middle of the ninth, and then a few of the tight ends after we got Hayden Hurst, Ian Thomas, who's also kind of had those opportunities, and Dawson Knox. Um, of those three, which ones do you like more than Janu? Um, I think I like Hayden Hurst. I know we haven't seen it, but he's been overshadowed, obviously, by Mark Andrews, and I think that him going into Atlanta – Obviously, they have Calvin Ridley and they have Julio still. It will be really interesting to see who Atlanta takes as a running back. If they get a guy more like Jonathan Taylor, I think that Hayden Hurst could obviously get some more targets because I don't think Taylor, especially at the beginning of his career, is going to be a guy that gets more than 30 or 40 in a season. 
If they get somebody more like Swift, though, or Dobbins that might have more of that pass-catching um, repertoire, maybe he does take a hit. Ian Thomas, I think there's just too much target competition, to be honest. They're, I know Joe Brady's going to want to run a high-tempo offense, and even if it is somewhat successful, I just don't see him getting more than four or five targets a game at most, maybe. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Um, Dawson Knox... I understand the appeal, but I feel like he kind of gets that bump up because of who he played with in college. Um, And so I I do think he, uh, from a talent perspective, is pretty good. He was overshadowed in college. But, again, I I still don't think that Josh Allen is a guy to really dump it off and make the safe throw. I think he wants to sling it or he wants to run it. So until I see that he kind of wants to be a more, I guess, responsible quarterback out there, I'm probably going to slide Janu second to Hayden Hurst on that list. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't blame you there. I actually really like Hayden Hurst's opportunity too. I think he, I, they traded away a second rounder to acquire him. And I know they didn't trade for him just so he could try to block. So I, I think the Falcons saw something they really like in him. So I'm excited to see what he can do um, with a, a team that doesn't have Mark Andrews on the roster. Um, the last tight end that I wanted to talk about, and then I think you've got a couple of guys, uh, Jack Doyle, he was taken in the 15th round. And I, I totally totally understand Philip Rivers' tight end numbers are going to be inflated by playing with Antonio Gates and Hunter Henry. But that doesn't mean we need to completely dismiss those numbers either. So I know in 2017, Doyle finished as the tight end seven. Uh, that was kind of his last healthy season. So the next season, he only played six games. Uh, but what my model really likes is that uh, there isn't a thousand yard receiver from last year uh, playing with the Colts. So T.Y. was banged up. He was held on to under a thousand yards. Uh, so Doyle isn't really competing against anybody. Now, I actually drafted Hilton in this league. I think he's going to bounce back just fine. Um, yeah, I think he'll kind of play that Keenan Allen role. But I, I, uh, I really like the opportunity that Doyle has now that um, Eric Ebron is, isn't in town. No, I, I completely agree. I remember I was between him and I think my, my third quarterback, it was the, the two picks I was between. I ended up going the quarterback and then, uh, there's only two picks in between me, uh, and my next one, there's one team. And of course I get sniped, uh, on Jack Doyle there. Here's the thing. Phillip rivers is literally probably the least mobile quarterback in the league. Like Tom Brady can tuck it down and get a couple yards. I think Philip Rivers actually has negative career rushing yards. Like he he does not <laughs> want to run. He does not want to run at all, and he has no problem literally getting the ball out within two seconds. And honestly, he's probably not going to know what to do with all the time he's going to have back there in the pocket uh, with one of the better offensive lines in the league. So I definitely expect Jack Doyle, Naheem Hines, those guys are going to get a boost up. I actually disagree with you on the receivers, though. I think Paris Campbell is a better candidate. Um, to be more of that Keenan Allen role. And I think T.Y. Hilton might play a more souped-off Mike Williams role, uh, in my opinion, just because T.Y. is kind of the guy that takes the top off. He can, he does line up more outside. He's got a little more wheels. Paris Campbell, I think, is a guy that you just kind of want to get the ball in his hands and, and let him work in space a little bit. Obviously, he has to stay healthy and stay on the field, but it'll be really interesting. I think the Colts, honestly, are my favorite to win that division, and I I mean, Tennessee, I think, is the only team that's going to be close. I don't believe the Texans. Uh, I think Deshaun Watson is probably going to win them more games than they probably deserve to win, but it's still going to be a struggle. And then Jacksonville, they're obviously kind of 
going full rebuild by just kind of dumping all their their good players, even if they're older, and trying to reload for the future. Yeah, yeah, I like that Paris Campbell, um, Keenan Allen comparison. Yeah, I I I forget just because Campbell didn't really produce last season, but a lot of his production in college came from those low A dot targets. Uh, and and Rivers can be the guy to give him the ball in that short amount of space and just let him go. And and Ty has always been a good uh, deep threat. So I I hope you're right because I've got Campbell in a couple of leagues, and so I'm I'm just waiting for him to break out. Uh, Plus, you know, if if this all this COVID nineteen stuff kind of washes over, it's a perfect excuse for him to leave the house with his you know fifty thousand kids. <laughs> He's like, no, I got to teach up this rookie. I missed some games last year. We had to develop this rapport. Sorry, honey. You got to deal with the kids. Yeah, today. everybody with kids at home knows we can't have enough excuses to get out of the house. So, uh, especially Philip Rivers. <laughs> well, cool. Did, did you have any other tight ends you wanted to touch on? Uh, no. Uh, the only one I was going to just throw out there is if you're looking to go super late or if you are in a two tight end league, what you got to get your first two or three guys. I think it's actually a good idea to double up on the Jets tight ends and Chris Herndon and Ryan Griffin. Now, I know Ryan Griffin is 30 years old. He really hasn't done much in the NFL outside of a couple of games last year. But Sam Darnold seemed to really like to throw to him. The Jets did decide to bring him back on his contract. And outside those two tight ends uh, and Jameson Crowder and Le'Veon Bell, there's really nobody that's coming back from that passing game last year. So, yeah, they brought in Perriman. Yeah, they're probably going to draft a wide receiver in round one or round two. But it's going to take time for Sam Darnold and those new weapons to develop a rapport. Herndon, we've seen uh, two years ago, kind of down the stretch in that five or six games, he could definitely be a really useful fantasy asset. He just has to stay on the field. But I don't think grabbing Griffin was literally probably one of your last or very last picks. I think it's a pretty cheap and safe insurance policy. Yeah, no, that, that's a good call. Last season in one of my startups, I actually went completely zero tight end. So I ended up with Noah Fant and Herndon. And I kept playing Fant for the upside. And then on Fant's bye week, I was forced to play Herndon. And I think that was his game. He came back from his his injury. I think it was his hamstring. And then he ended up, I think he had his mm-hmm. one catch that game. Um, and then he got hurt and put on IR. So I, I literally played Herndon the only game that he he had his one one game of production. Uh, but I, I you're, you're the one guy yeah, that got production. But I, I loved what I saw the year before, so. Uh, especially between him and Darnold. So it, that, that opportunity is definitely there. So I, I like the call. And then, of course, Griffin came on late um, last season, and he got, I think, that two-year extension. Um, so they definitely see something special in him. Um, but, yeah, well, before we get you out of here, um, I, on the show we like to ask people who they have on their baby monitor. Is that a baby monitor? <laughs> um so who do you have on your baby monitor? Who's who's a young guy that that you're uh, that you're still watching and you haven't yeah, quite given up on I'm yet? Yeah, we're gonna go back to Indy. I'm gonna say Paris Campbell. Talked about him a little bit. We talked about Jack Doyle and how that offense is changing. They had a lot of injuries last year, including Campbell himself. And I just think if he was in this draft class, and I knew that his landing spot was in Indianapolis, I really only have maybe four or five guys ahead of him. So and you can get him a lot cheaper than that. You could probably get him for a third round, maybe a late second round pick at most in a lot of leagues. And I feel like if he just finds a way to stay on the field and develop into a pro, especially with Phillip Rivers as quarterback, maybe not this year, but he could easily be like a hundred plus target guy in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, I like the pick. He's been a, he's been a popular pick on the show. So there's a lot of people 
that are, are waiting for Paris Campbell to break out. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I think Philip Rivers is the guy that can kind of help develop him and help him read the defenses and find those soft spots in the zone, uh, kind of close to the uh, line of scrimmage. And then he can, he can take off because he can probably outrun uh, the majority of the guys on the field. Uh, well, cool. Well, I appreciate you joining the show. Um, do, do you know oh yeah, we're gonna keep here? it flexy. 